43rd episode of the game podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. I am joined by Brian Gottlieb. I took a week vacation after Pro Tour Hour Devastation, and you were busy battling in SCG Syracuse, although you were a little crippled, I guess. But yeah, we got some magic to talk about. So maybe maybe just briefly touch on modern, I guess. Like you didn't play the tournament for very long, but like what what do you think about the format just in general? Yeah, I I made a very brief appearance. I lasted four rounds before my injury uh, KO'd me, which is a pretty sad state when you're physically unable to complete a magic tournament, but that's where I was at. I think the format remains interesting. I think there's very clear tiers being established and somehow against against all of my expectations, Eldrazi Tron has clawed its way into the top tier uh, along with death shadow and affinity which are still present i think that modern is maybe in a better place than it's been in a very long time Uh, i think the games are very interesting which is the main thing um there's a lot less of the did i draw my sideboard card um was i on the play that kind of defined modern for a very long time um so for the brief period i was able to play in the tournament i I definitely enjoyed it. I, I played kind of a green-black rock deck similar to the list that Saul Malka has been playing, if you've seen those around, um, leaning on like Ghost Quarters for the Eldrazi Tron matchup with some some Crucible of Worlds. Uh, it was a cool list. I'll definitely talk about it more in the future when I get to play more games with it, because uh, I think I'll probably run it back for my next Modern event. But yeah, it, it was a good good tournament and interesting stuff going on with Modern. I guess it's kind of like Modern was in such a bad place that we were happy it was away from the Pro Tour for a long time, or at least I was. I'm pretty excited it's back now. I think it should be an interesting Pro Tour. Oh, we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's a long ways off. So, I mean, who knows where things will be at that point. But I I feel like if things go kind of poorly and things end up getting banned again, people might start to realize that it's probably not the best idea for Modern to be a Pro Tour format, but we'll see. Well, who's in the crosshairs right now as far as potential bannings go? I, I think it's like people are talking Death Shadow, which I see as defensible. But I also don't think Death Shadow is particularly oppressive or it may be the best deck. I mean, in, in my eyes, I think it's the best deck. But I think there's still room for other options. I think there's viable strategies against Death Shadow. And I think it is kind of a good villain. The gameplay against Death Shadow is very interesting, very uh, thought intensive on both sides. So so I like Death Shadow being kind of the number one target. I, I don't know if my opinion is shared by the entire modern community, which is a, a very like fractured community. Like it's it's like half casual, half serious. Really hard to get a, a pulse on exactly what they want. So it'll be interesting to see what Wizards does with it. Although I think Aaron Forsyth said that he intends to, they intend to have the same like theory with modern going forward where they are not going to ban just because the Pro Tour is coming up. So we'll see. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I think it has been enough time that Modern doesn't need anything banned necessarily. I just worry that after the Pro Tour, things might narrow down a little bit. Like, if if you look at the top 32 list from Syracuse, I mean, the the format seems like pretty wide open, kind of all over the place. Uh, The one thing that kind of makes me cautious is you're talking about how Death Shadow is not super oppressive and there are a bunch of strategies that are good against it and... I I do agree with that, but it's also worrisome that when you're going to a modern tournament, one of the first things you have to think about is, like, how do I handle Death Shadow? Like, how do I tune my deck to be able to compete with this thing? And that seems like a tall ask for every single person going to an event, and it's not as simple as just, like, you know, throwing three resting pieces in your sideboard or whatever. So that sort of thing leads me to believe that there might be a problem. 
You're definitely right. And, and this is kind of where the dichotomy lies. And what will be very interesting about this Pro Tour is that at the SCG level, you can probably pretty safely just be like, well, I, hope I, I hope I don't get paired against Death Shadow. Because it's like 10% of the metagame, even though I think a lot of people, kind of the, the pundits of Magic, would very clearly say the best deck, and it's still only occupying 10%. Things may be very different when it comes time for the Pro Tour, where people are much more incentivized to just find the best list, tune the best list. And, and so that may not be a viable strategy at that point. And then that may spiral into the more... I don't, it's not quite a casual metagame, but the, the not pro metagame, things like the SCG Tour, that might have an impact after the Pro Tour. So we'll have to yeah. see what happens with that. I mean, Pro Tours do a good work of defining metagames, and especially with less information being out there, I think uh, a Pro Tour that is primarily modern is going to do a lot towards incentivizing people to play certain strategies and disincentivizing them to play others. And, you know, obviously there there's some contingent out there that has their one deck and that's what they play, right? Not everyone has the ability to just change decks on a whim or anything, but once once a Pro Tour happens, I think the format becomes less wide open, it narrows a little bit, and I don't really like that. That's that's kind of when Modern is the least fun, I think. Yeah, you make a good point, and obviously like we saw this happen with, with Legacy back in the day. When Legacy started getting more attention, it, it got very narrow and, and required a lot of banning, so wh- whenever this happens... It's certainly a concern with these non-rotating formats. You know, I just don't want to preemptively panic. I I think that I've spent such a large period of time just being like a modern naysayer that I kind of want to embrace the format while I'm enjoying it because I do know that things could change very quickly. No, absolutely. And I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as you where modern was definitely the least fun for any of the formats that I was able to play. And now I actually like it a good amount and I just don't really want that to change. So I understand. Anyway, there was this whole Pro Tour thing that happened. I was there. I don't know. For me, it was a little bit weird. I think I prepared basically the same way as I did for Amonkhet, except with notable difference being I did not join my team until like four days later this time. So like I got to the Pro Tour Wednesday, which is pretty late, and didn't have a lot of time to communicate with team and try and figure out what they were doing and try and give my input and stuff. So... I uh, got there, basically everyone was all over the place, and they were playing a bunch of decks that didn't really beat the red deck, so I was like, hey guys, you know, like, what what's going on? And they're like, ah, oh, you know, like, how, how big is that deck gonna be? And I just kind of, like, pulled the room, you know, like, Raptor was one of the first people that I asked, because he generally has a, a pretty good handle on what the metagame is gonna be like, and he was like, oh yeah, it's gonna be the red deck, but, like, not by much, and I was like, you know, what are you thinking? He's like, oh, I don't know, like, 15%. And I was like, yeah, I kind of thought that too, but now it's like, you know, if a team decides to play red, like, that's 5% of the tournament, you know? So it's like, yeah, I think it's going to be at least 15%, probably more, and just, like, the decks that people were playing on our team did not seem like they had very good matchups against it, and Sam was, like, doing his Sam thing where he's just, like, playing these weirdo decks, like... He's building red-white tokens because it 5-0 to league, you know. And I was like, dude, this is this is just a worse red deck. Why don't you just play red? And I spent a good amount of time trying to convince him to play the red deck. Eventually that worked, but then it was like 8 p.m. Thursday and we, like, he didn't have, like, a good deck list or anything. And I still didn't really know what I was going to play. I had sleeved up, like, a teamer deck at this point with, like, a lot of red hate because I knew that that matchup was going to be, like, prevalent and is very difficult yeah, I just was basically trying to prey on, like, the other stuff that was trying to beat the red decks. And I ended up just, you know, kind of, like, throwing the teamer stuff back in the box and just being like, all right, fine, Sam, we'll play the red deck with you. And then we tried to make a list. It was really bad. Uh, he crushed the tournament. 
more or less ended up in third place, I believe. And I think the decision was good. I think that had we had more time to like actually, you know, play games with the deck, uh, our list certainly would have been better. But oh well. Yeah, you hit you hit the optimal archetype with maybe the suboptimal list in this case. Yeah, no time to spare, you know. So it kind of stunk, and especially since like I played games with basically everything else, and I played a lot against the red deck, so it's like, okay, I kind of get what's going on here from the other sides of the matchup, so, like, how much do I really need to play with the red deck itself, you know? I think a lot of it was figuring out that, like, the moto red decks were basically just, like, face decks, and all that they were trying to do was, you know, get you down to eight or so, and then draw a combination of cards that would allow them to burn you out, so we just kind of, like, built our deck with that in mind, and obviously we wanted to like transition a little bit post-board and things like Cartouche of Zeal are not very good in post-board games, but people were prepared enough for the red deck as it was that Cartouche of Zeal was not a very good main deck card either. And I think we also underestimated how much like the deck just naturally likes hitting land drops and basically never feels flooded regardless of what configuration of the deck you have. Like Ramanap Ruins, Kenra, and Hazaret both make it, so you're just like, yeah, play 24 lands, who cares? Yeah, when I was kind of, you know, just observing the differences in the the top eight lists, that was my big sticking point against your list was that it's low land count. And obviously you mitigated that post-board and were able to bring in lands, but that did seem to be the one of the larger points of difference between your list and the other lists, maybe one of the primary weaknesses that your list had. Oh, for sure. I mean, Sam got bookended by a bunch of mulligans, and then the other game he lost was being stuck on two land. You know, I I do think a lot of the issues that he had were with mana problems, and yeah, we we should have built our deck a little bit better, but we didn't didn't really get there until the very last day. So it's not really an excuse, because obviously our preparation could have been better. We could have been talking more, just communicating better overall, and we should have had, like, someone playing the red deck who, like, new stuff about it and there were a couple people that did but they they just like played a league with the moto list and they're like yeah it's fine and like didn't really try and refine it and the people who did incredibly well like uh apollo and like the mid card guys and stuff like their their lists were great yep yeah definitely the the point of distinction how do you think we got to a point where you know you and i were here two weeks ago having another one of these conversations where oh it can't possibly be 30 percent of the metagame and there we were at 30% of the metagame. Is, is it just that there were no... I mean, we know now that there are positive matchups against the red deck. But was the field still too open to take those positive matchups into the field at the Pro Tour? Are we worried about too many other things to just sleeve up zombies? Uh, I think it's possible that zombies may have been focused on the red decks and not really knowing what else it was going to face. Mm-hmm. Like, Black Green was a significant portion of the metagame too. And I think... That matchup against Zombies is really close, depending on what their lists are. And, like, if, if Zombies is playing against, like, the energy black-green decks, Zombies is basically going to win. But the the more mid-rangey, more controlling black-green decks are actually pretty tough. And if Zombies is not prepared for that, like, you know, they're, they're likely going to lose a lot of those fights. But as far as the metagame thing, it was like, you know, I, I said three weeks ago, whenever we had our last podcast, that, what, like, what are the natural enemies to mono-red? Yeah, we didn't come up with any. Right? The the black decks, sure, because they have Grasp and can kill Hazaret, and they have a lot of good blockers and everything. But, yeah, it's just the more I thought about it, it's like, what what are the natural enemies? Like, what decks are people going to play where they actually have a good matchup? And there are just very few of them. So, yeah, it's it's going to be 
red. It's going to be a decent amount of zombies and black green for the people who are trying to beat the red deck because they don't want to play it, probably because they're like us and didn't play enough of the red deck to actually refine it and make it into this machine. And control just can't exist, really. Yeah, more bad times for control. I think we successfully spotted that going into the tournament. We knew that control wasn't really viable. And, you know, watching the tournament, watching people trying to, like, cast Torrential Gear Hulk, it was just like, what are you doing? You you can't survive this turn in any spot when you cast Torrential Gear Hulk. It's just not a realistic option. And although, the you know, the, the red-blue deck continues to pop up in various places, I, I still find such a hard time believing that it's actually viable. We need to kind of go through a full rotation before we get back to a place where Torrential Gear Hulk is actually able to make some impact. But this was just such a unique Pro Tour in, in terms of, you know, another thing we talked about last time we were together was the unwillingness of big teams and elite players to pick up a red deck. And I posited that maybe that was starting to fade a little bit. Well, I think we can say now with pretty much full authority that that attitude has faded from the pro community and that the pros will play the red deck when it is the best deck. Yeah, most people. I mean, there there are still some holdouts, I think, on teams. It was like the people that were on teams that played red and they played something else and they got to watch like their teammates just crushing it. Yeah. While they were on the sidelines. Yeah. I think I think that might change, you know? And also, we were talking before and one of the reasons I thought people might not pick up this red deck is because it's full of a bunch of bad cards and they just cut all the bad cards. Yeah. And, and yeah, now the cards the deck, got real good real fast. And yeah, now the, the deck is actually just awesome. Yeah. Things like Chandra and Hazaret and, you know, all these ultra powerful cards that are way better than, I mean, no offense, but things like Cartouche of Zeal, right? It's just uh, like a, a totally different power level of card. None taken. That card was horrendous. Yep. I, and I'm I, not I figured that out. That. I figured that out pretty quick. <laughs> not not quick enough, but pretty quick. So yeah, I, I, I feel like those teams had some person who was working on the red deck and playing with it and was just like, oh, I'm going to cut these cartouches for lands and play more real magic cards. And oh, look, my Iwin draws are still there and I can play more of a late game. And still be able to compete with these more powerful decks. Like, the deck doesn't need to be a face deck. It just doesn't. Yeah, it has a kind of both, like, card advantage suite and just a level of inherent reach to it that red decks aren't usually granted. Like, things like Kenra coming out of the graveyard feels so different for what a red deck is usually able to do. I mean, we had things with, like, Hell's Thunder was kind of a similar card in a lot of ways. But, but something about this configuration of cards feels very different for a red deck to the point where, like... In general, I don't like playing with red decks, but I think this deck is fun to play. I think it has a ton of interesting decisions. Feels a little bit more like a mid-rangey type deck than a true red deck in a lot of spots. Yeah, it's it's not really a red deck because you have some of the best removal in the format. You have some of the best like recursive threats, and Hazaret is, is definitely a red card. That feels like a red card, but it's just so good, and basically yeah. no one can kill it. So, yeah, yeah it, once you cut all the bad cards, the red deck is so much better, and obviously now people are... They, they caught on. They figured it out after Red just annihilated the Pro Tour. So it, it seems like, you know, I, I said we talked whatever it was two weeks, three weeks ago. It feels like in terms of the metagame, it was a billion years ago because things have changed so much and people have come to so many conclusions and the metagame is doing such rapid rotations. It, it, it really feels crazy. I remarked that, you know, after the, the Pro Tour, there was a PTQ, a Moto PTQ, I, I think, on the Sunday of the Pro Tour. It had a completely different metagame than the Pro Tour. It was just all swamps. It was completely different. The entire thing changed in the course of two days. I've never seen such a rapid evolution in all my time playing Magic. I was kind of blown away by it. 
I mean, everyone, everyone figured it out. It was like, I didn't get to watch any coverage. I don't know what matches were on camera or like what narrative they were spinning with like, oh, you know, zombies and black green are good against monored. And maybe that's why everyone played it. Or maybe just everyone figured it out on their own. You know, like grasp of darkness is basically the only card that kills Hazaret. Unless you want to play like some bad cards, you know, some Prism uh, in the Moons or Aether Meltdowns. It was a sticking point of the coverage that Zombies was advantaged over the Mono Red deck. They often reference that fact. Uh, and I, I think that's how people um, very easily ended up on the Zombies deck for the next day's tournament. And, you know, in a lot of cases, I know I, I played Zombies in the PTQ. The bane of my existence in that tournament was the Mirror Match. Uh, I lost three Mirror Matches. Uh, a lot of people had like either Sphere Harvester in their Zombies deck uh, to even further sway the red matchup in their favor. So yeah, they, they went all in immediately. Oh, one of my matches in the PT, I got Brutalityed, Kalidist, Harvestered, Essence Extractioned. I feel like there was another card too. It was like, oh, you're you're really trying to beat me, aren't you? Did you win anyway? Uh, I mean, I won one of the games, but I lost the other two when I kept a three-land hand and drew all lands, and the next game I mulled a six, kept a one-lander with a scry on the draw, and never played land two. It, it does blow my mind how often I have those openers where I'm like, oh, life gain spell, you know, cheap removal, collective brutality, which is kind of just like the Nutter Butters against the red deck, and I cast all these spells, and it still comes down to the last turn where I need them like not to top deck, like 60% of their deck to beat me. Uh, yeah. and you have to fade that draw step. It's It still happens, despite the fact that we're very much slanting builds against them at this point. Well, I think Brutality is good in game one, but it's not very good in the post-board games. Sure, when they get bigger. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you you just end up losing to Chandra and Glorybringer anyway, so what are you doing? Yeah. But yeah, it, it, it did change really quickly, and then we had Grand Prix Minneapolis, where there was one red deck in top eight, and this may have been... The, the coverage's fault, where they didn't want to put a bunch of red decks on camera, but, like, I just watched a bunch of black-green decks and a bunch of zombies decks. Brad and Corey both top-aided with black-green Constrictor with Catacomb Sifter, which I think is very good against the red decks. Just, like, some Mardu vehicles. I don't know how that deck is good. Maybe you can fill me in. Just, yeah, some, some black-red control was in the top eight, and then my homie Steve Locke took it down with mono-black zombies, so... Undefeated. Pretty happy... Pretty happy about that. Yeah, no, Steve Locke is awesome. He is very, very good at magic. He's an old school guy, right? I'm not familiar with him. I haven't heard of him before. Uh, he's he's like mid-2000s old school okay. from Iowa. And I lived in Ames for like six to eight months. And he was one of the dudes that we would grind PTQs with. And he always did pretty well in the PTQs. He's played on like a few pro tours. I think his most recent one was uh, Madrid. Uh, it's it's always sweet to see someone from your past like that who you like you know was a good player but for whatever reason they didn't like pursue the game or they just kind of took some time away and then they spike a GP out of nowhere. That's always like one of the best feelings. Oh yeah, no, he was he was going to college. He got married. You know, he's he's doing real life stuff. And then I guess this GP was just close enough that he's like, yeah, whatever, we'll zombie some folks. Very cool. Going back to your your point about Mardu. It's interesting to see the concessions they're making to the metagame. I, I'm not here to, to preach for Mardu. I, I have a hard time believing it's the deck that you want to be playing right now. Um, but if you look at the changes that both of these guys made seemingly independently, I mean, it's, it's certainly possible they work together, but I don't know that and I don't have anything to suggest that. But they started cutting Gideon and talking about killing like your sacred horses. This is the biggest sacred horse of this entire deck. Um, Ooh, actually, keep talking. I know, I know Rob Castro, he's from Wisconsin, 
And Severa's on our team. He played Mardu in the Pro Tour, and he had fewer Gideons. Okay, so so maybe we're starting to put a chain together how this information got out there. Uh, but now I don't know Ray Huang, so let's look up where he is from. See if we can find him on Facebook. Ah, nine mutual friends, including Matt Severa. Okay, there we go. Well, we solved the mystery. Uh, Matt Severa has told people how to properly build Mardu vehicles, and I, I do believe... This is what the proper build looks like. Gideon is a, a liability against red and against kind of the format in general. It's not a great card against zombies either. So going into this tournament, I see the merits entirely of cutting Gideon. The problem is at that point, I have to ask, why are you playing Marty Vehicles when you're cutting the best card in the deck? You know, kind yeah. of like the linchpin of the format. Isn't there just something better you can be doing if, if this is what you're giving up? Well, one of the things I will note, like similarly to Collective Brutality, I think Gideon is quite good in the post-board games. Uh, yeah, when things get bigger, Gideon gets better. And yeah, in, in game one, if, if people stay super aggressive and everything, I could see why Gideon is not great because it's very unlikely that you're going to have any traction. But if, if you don't have any traction, you can't keep Gideon in play, you're probably not going to win anyway. It's not like, you know, if, if you have like some semblance of a board position, then Gideon is awesome. And if you have no board position, you're just going to lose. So it's not Gideon's fault, you know? You don't think the the post-board vulnerability to, to Glorybringer kind of extinguishes his usefulness in those games? They have two Glorybringers and 25 land, or 24 land a lot of the time. Like, yeah, so it's not coming down on time. And and no matter what, they're going to be able to, like, Glorybringer's going to get you, right? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, okay, I, I can buy that. That stance where it gets better in the post-board games. But you can certainly see the, the logic behind the game one cuts. And it, it worked for both of these guys. Again, it seems like there was some kind of, uh, you know, we were able to piece together exactly how it happened. That they both ended up at this conclusion. But I wonder if this becomes the default way of, of building Mardu vehicles from this point forward. Uh, maybe. I mean, I, I think most people are just going to, you know, if they decide they want to play Mardu, they're probably going to look at what the last Mardu deck that did well was. And yeah, two copies in the top eight of this Grand Prix with nothing else really that I see. It hasn't been doing too well online. Maybe. I, I, you know, when you make that statement now, you always have to be like, you always have to couch it a little bit. Well, it hasn't, it hasn't been doing well online that people know about. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, you still so. see the Mardu list show up in a, like most of the daily lists. Um, it, it's usually there. We obviously have no idea what kind of metagame representation it has. We, we talked about how this is going to impact our decision-making going forward. Here it is right now. I can't tell you what the percentage of you know, Mardu is in the metagame online right now. I, I can guess that it's fairly low. I don't seem to play against it all that often, but I don't know authoritatively. Yeah, doing more research on, on Mardu and... Rob Castro specifically calls out Severa. Ray Huang noted that Sky Sovereign cannot be killed by black decks. So you look at these Mardu lists and they have fewer Gideons and it just makes me wonder like how they beat black green, you know? That is a very good question. That's the thing about all these deck lists is that we talk about the focus of the format and sure, the focus is there, but there's still a lot of decks you have to prepare for. Oh yeah. Um, And you can very easily have your, your day wrecked by some bad pairings if you're giving up against the mono green deck or you know what i've been doing recently is kind of starting to think about well what lists are good if there is no mono red like if we actually get to the point where all of these decks have effectively hated out mono red what kind of things can i do to really exploit the mid-ranging nature of the format you know some of the things i've explored are like unsurprisingly for anyone ramp i think that has an avenue of victory you can pursue and then other things i've looked into are things like turbo fog lists 
um, that are just really focused on negating kind of the slow plotting creature combat, but really have no chance whatsoever against a, a red deck that's packed with Ramanap ruins and, you know, other sources of non-combat damage. I don't know. It's like, it, so to me, it looks like there's mono red. The next step is green, black and zombies. And the next step after that is kind of what you're talking about, where, you know, maybe there's not a lot of mono red or maybe there's not a lot of mono red in like the day two metagame for Grand Prix or Opens, whatever tournament you're attending. And then what do you do? And it looks like the moto lists have turned to just playing teamer. I could see that. I mean, it's like it's a ball of the most powerful cards in the format. And, you know, we talked about how it previously was kind of lacking in good matchups. But if all these decks start coming back, then, yeah, your good matchups start coming back. You know, there's a lot of cards that we're playing as concessions to the mono red deck that look very embarrassing against Teamer. Uh, yeah. We talked, you talked about the X3s, things like Catacomb Sifter, and you're starting to see things like Druid of the Cowl pop up in a lot of the ramp lists. So, so X3 is a very, very good number uh, against the red decks. It's kind of a silly number against, you know, a deck packing four braids and a ton of Harness Lightning where you're paying this extra mana for something like Catacomb Sifter, or you're playing something like Sylvan Advocate, which is kind of a card that's been relegated to the, to the bargain bin recently. Oh, um, yeah. And now, you know, if you're caught playing those cards against a deck that's prepared to answer them, you look kind of silly in a lot of spots. So Sky Sovereign is also a card that these teamer decks have two of in the sideboard. So, I mean, that is, that is just a card. Like, maybe maybe it's time for, like, that instead of Glorybringer in the red deck. That's an interesting change. Crew 3 might be really tough. Well, you, you have some individual bodies that can do it. I, I think it's more, like you're going to generate, hopefully, some mass on board, even if it's in this form of very small creatures. I mean, we're cutting a lot of them post-board, but we're not cutting all of them. So in spots where you're getting kind of brick-walled, you know, you get another use for those creatures. I do think that it's important that the black decks start adapting to the presence of things like Sky Sovereign, and it's difficult for them to, they, they, for them to do so. Um, they have to play things like Murder, maybe, yeah. um, which is not a card you're ever happy to be playing under any circumstances. Um, but that was kind of like the story of my day playing zombies is that Aether Sphere Harvester, which is, is not a card that I really considered to be like an anti-zombies card. And I don't think it was there to be an anti-zombies card. I think it was there to get you points against Models Red. But man, is it a house for you, for you to deal with as a zombies player unless you go really, really wide. Yeah, or or just have a bunch of masteries. Yeah, and, and go really huge. Yep. Yeah, so I, I think that's maybe uh, a little wrinkle for zombies players to start thinking about how am I going to answer these vehicles at this point because there are as I scroll through this top eight a good number of ships floating around be that yeah. be they uh either sphere harvesters or sky sovereign console flagships they're just all over this top eight yeah I, like grasp does it sometimes but I do think you need something else and murder probably is the best card assuming you don't want to end up splashing yeah we both are very anti-splash, or we have been very anti-splash for a long time in the zombies list. But, you know, maybe we talked about next steps. Maybe something like that can be the next step. Now you're starting to see a reason to splash. You know, things are kind of tilting against you. The deck's wearing a target. And, you know, we're able to get access to some answers that we previously couldn't have if we start gaining things like... I mean, I don't know that a braid is the card that I want necessarily. I think the format continues to adapt to the presence of a braid and and play smartly around it and, you know, not expose itself. That's why we see so many fewer hearts than we used to. And in fact, I was playing today with kind of a weirdo list that I, I cribbed from the Moto results. It was a mono black Eldrazi list that, that Adam Snook was playing and he 5-0'd with. Yeah. Um, 
And man, is it so difficult to play Heart of Kirin when a braid is a card. Like, I just, I don't know how people subject themselves to it. You get blown out repeatedly, and they always have it. Like, there is no time when you activate your Heart of Kirin and they don't have an braid. I promise you. It's 100% of the time. Yeah, and there's, it's not even a good way to, like, bait out in a braid before playing a heart, because playing heart on two is like, it's kind of like the only time heart is good, you know? It's like the heart on turn five is not a super huge threat. Yeah, and you you, see, you do see that the numbers are starting to go down for hearts as well. I believe both Mardu lists had three hearts. Yes, yeah. they did. So that's another sacred cow that's starting to get some uh, some trimming, and, and I'm behind that as well. I, I certainly see why they're moving away from heart. Well, past that, I mean, is it is it just Teamer, and then those are the four decks? The, that's like the only thing that's good? Well, you know, we, we talked about the, the Moto PTQ, and we talked about this top eight, but there was also a Mox in this same time frame. And like you mentioned, the Mox was won by Teamer. So yeah, I guess that's our next deck to talk about. You know, what does this deck have going on for it right now that makes it a, a wise choice? And I think it's kind of like the removal we talked about. And the Teamer lists are becoming a little removal heavy. And, and I think they're doing a good job just lining up their removal against the threats in the format. The Teamer list that I had all sleeved up and ready to go was... Mostly built by Pat Cox and uh, Greg Kowalski, who were two of the people on my team. And I liked a lot of the stuff that they were doing. And I, I basically, like, built Teamer on the flight. I was like, oh, you know, like, Whirler Virtuoso is really good against Red, right? So, like, maybe yeah. I'll play two or three copies. And they're just like, no, we're playing four. It's very mm -hmm. easy, right? Both the Teamer lists in first and third had four copies. Uh, Bristling Hydra is just another card that is very, very good against black removal, and the black decks are not prepared for it. They also have two Sky Sovereigns on the sideboard. It's like, same deal, you know? Harvest, Harvester's main, too. That's not something that, uh, you know, Rug yeah, had previously done. Yeah, that's not normal. That, yep. is, that is definitely not normal. And we see both both first and third had Aethershire Harvesters in the main. Yeah. A lot of ways to generate energy, too. So, like, your Cubs are very dangerous, your Virtuosos are very dangerous, Hydra, too. I mean... They are playing more energy cards than we're typically used to seeing because they don't have any Chandras or anything. To that point, there was a game I played yesterday on Moto against a Teamer player, and this was game one. Over the course of the game, he played three Confiscation Coops against me. Jesus. What do you think about that card kind of finding its place? I mean, it's tough against Mono Red, right? That's a, that's a problem card. It's a little too expensive for what it does. I mean, the more, the more they're slowing down and, like, Hazaret is is the best card in the matchup by far because yep. Teamer doesn't have a good answer to it and, and Koo actually does take care of it. You know, it's not like a great answer or anything because it's so slow, but with all your spot removal, you should be able to slow the game down to maybe you take Hazaret when you're at 10 life and then you might have a threat that they have to contend with and it's possible that you just win the game on the spot assuming that you're not getting village messengered. Yeah, and, and you know, you're talking about it there, but that's probably the worst spot in the format for Confiscation Koo. And as you move to other mid-rangey matchups, you see what this card is capable of doing. I mean, I had my Ulamog taken by the Confiscation Coup. Okay. Um, so, you know, like it definitely turns on pretty hard and, and can get some work done. Yeah, like you said, a lot of energy in these lists right now. I'm interested in Confiscation Coup. I really like maxing that card. I think that kind of swing is exactly what the format is looking for in mid-range battles. So maybe that's something I'm, I'm looking to explore a little more. So these lists have some Deep Fiends. I never really liked Deep Fiend in the versions that were not going super hard on it. You know, like I don't I don't really want to sack like my Cub or my Bristling Hydra or anything. And I could totally see Confiscation Coup in those spots. 
Uh, I agree with you. Elder Defiend is not a card that I've enjoyed in Rogue. Um, the only thing you're really happy about sacrificing into it is, is Rogue Refiner. And even there, it's like, dude, a 3 2 body's good. Like, I'm not necessarily looking to cash this guy in right away. You know, it's not yep. like Matter Reshaper where you're getting upside or any of the old, like, Team Merge creatures where it was just like you wanted to get them to the graveyard. Like, yeah, he's done his main job, but still, that 3 2 body is something you want to keep around. I guess Defiend is another card that they just need murder for, right? Because it's like none of the other removal really hits it very effectively. Yeah, again, you have to rely on your grasps and just like hoping you're far enough ahead that they have to try and make a desperate block where they're vulnerable to it. But how many other grasp targets does this deck have? It's like a billion. Everything has to be killed on spot. So you're really taxing their grasps really hard. So there's a plus for Elder Defiend. I don't, in, in terms of just like card quality, I would swap them for Kuz right now just to try it out and see where that's at and see if that gets us some points in, in these mid-range mirrors, which are certainly going to be facing a lot of in the coming weeks. Absolutely. No, I, I do think that, that Kuz sounds pretty reasonable. So I know uh, a lot of our listeners have RPTQs coming up, including myself in two weeks. If you yourself had an RPTQ coming up, which of these lists would you be looking to bring to it? So I think the red deck is good enough to the point where it can go toe-to-toe with zombies and black-green. And maybe the decks that Red was good against have mostly been pushed out of the metagame. But now thing it's kind of starting to come full circle where people are playing Teamer to try and play prey on these black decks. And Red ends up being good against them. So, I don't know. I feel like the Red deck is still very good. Uh, you see tournaments like the Classic in Syracuse where it got first and third. And it still did top eight the Grand Prix and stuff. Like, the deck is still good. But it's not like free win central like it used to be, you know. Yeah. So I would I would probably do that, but you you honestly just have to read the room, you know. Like the the meta gaming is just super important right now. Such a difficult thing to do too with with such a small amount of information. And I truly believe that the change in Moto results is having a very positive effect on this format, and it's keep, it's keeping me very interested in Magic right now. Whereas a lot of the times I would just be sitting back and collecting my data and kind of theorizing like don't get me wrong i'm interested because i know way less than i usually do at this point in the format i I don't know exactly where i want to go for my my rptq and exactly what direction i should go and i think that's a good thing and you know one of the fears we had about this new policy was that we were worried about there's not going to be new decks coming to light and we're going to miss all this innovation and and brewing and excitement and that has not been the case whatsoever I, i i don't think you can say that in good faith about this format. There's been new things happening every single week. New decks pop up from day to day. I mean, I just mentioned the the mono black Eldrazi list. I think that's a derivative of like a mono black vampires list, which just barely missed top eight at the GP. And there was, you know, a blue white approach deck played by Dan Ward, which is just like just counter spells and removal and approach of the second sun, which is something that wasn't on anyone's radar going into that GP. New decks are popping up all the time. They're being propagated on Moto, And if you're in the queues, you see that happening. I get that maybe you're missing a little bit of that picture if you're not in there daily. Uh, and maybe once my injury heals and, and I'm not just subjected to 10 hours of Moto a day, I'll be lamenting the loss of my Moto results. But right now, I'm, I'm appreciating the change. What, what impact has it had on you? Have you noticed a difference? Uh, just, it does seem weird to me. And the difference for me is that I look at all these tournaments and it, it seems pretty clear that people are operating under like different pretenses, right? Where it's like you see the mocks and the Syracuse classic happening the same weekend. And 
the Mox has these two Europeans do well with Teamer. There, there are some generalities where it's like, oh, Black Green and Zombies are good against Red decks, so just play those and maybe you can't play Red anymore. But the metagames in each tournament seem very different, and it seems like part of that is probably because of the dissemination of information, right? Yes, I would agree with that. But is it a bad thing? That's that's the question. Does this feel like, is my magic experience worse because of this change? And I, right now, I just have to answer no. I, I'm at least intrigued, a little befuddled, but like in a good way, in a, in a challenged way. Like the reason basically I play TCGs to the extent I do is that I like the challenge of figuring these things out. And, you know, it hasn't been as clear to me as it's been in past standards. Yeah, I, I like being challenged and and all that, but I do like having information and I still feel like, man, you know, next week when I go to Grand Prix Denver, I have no idea where the format's going to be and that's going to be really tough. Like, I do have Teamer still sleeved up from the Pro Tour. I could just jam that, but who knows what the metagame's going to look like next week, you know? Yeah, it's so hard to say and the only way you're going to be able to make that assessment with any kind of confidence is just like, live on moto i think or just ask me since i'm trapped on moto and can't escape so i'll be able to give you a a detailed report and let you know what's going on well my advice for you and your rptq is do not play a bad deck don't overthink it like if you played zombies or red or black green or maybe even teamer i'm sure things can't go that poorly for you so let me kind of let me steal this this comment to kind of talk about this issue i've been having lately in my magic approach so a lot of my previous success in Magic comes from when I was just like, I don't care what everyone thinks. You're all wrong. This is actually what's best. And I do my own thing. Now, there was a point where I did that to a dramatic extent and it hurt me. I always had to be different. And I think every kind of like burgeoning player goes through that phase where they have to, you know, you're trying to like prove how clever you are and you have silly deck lists and, you know, silly one ofs and things like that. And you grow out of that. But I do think to some extent recently, maybe over the past year or so, I've been playing things a little too chalk and a little too safe and just kind of relying on on play skill, which is fine. I, you know, I like that I have enough trust in my play skill that I've gotten to that point where I feel like I can do that. But I also, if I'm being honest with myself, think I have to take some more risks every now and then. And you're right that maybe... I shouldn't go ham, and maybe Turbo Fog isn't the right thing to bring to the RPTQ no. under those uh, metrics. But I do want to be more willing to take chances in my sideboard slots and you know explore different plans and, and things like that. I just want to make sure it's something that's been fading to the background of my game lately, and it's you know I'm going to take some focused steps to address it. Well, I am all about taking these sideboards that are like too gaunty, too obnixilous, too lay bare the heart, just. This assortment of random cards yeah, and actually cards. Yeah, just turning that into like, you know, using some thought and making some plans and actually like figuring things out. Like I am down with that. Absolutely. And where you're saying like, oh man, everyone is just wrong, I'm I'm right there with you. I mostly agree with you. In yeah. in cases outside of like PV's red deck that won the PT, you know? Like they had a plan, it was awesome. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, most lists you see, like, they don't. So and I think like everything else in Magic, we're asking ourselves to do that balancing act again, where we have to both trust and doubt ourselves to the exact right amount, where we don't go completely off the rails with our everyone's wrong type conclusions and, and still leave ourselves room to innovate and really get the edge that we need for a tournament going forward. So uh, just something that I, you know, when I was reviewing my results lately, which which have been 
subpar for me, certainly. I, I, I haven't been pleased with my results over the past year or so. And I started to think about why. And I was just like, well, I played chalk almost all the time. And I really didn't leave myself room to kind of play to my strengths. So it's just a little thing that I'm going to be more conscious of going forward. And I thought I'd reference it here because I'm sure it's something that a lot of our listeners go through as well. Yeah, absolutely. My, my recommendation is don't play transgress the mind. Don't play dispossess. Um, I'm just I'm just looking at random decks and I agree. They're sideboards. I agree on dispossess. That's a card I I very much don't understand. Although you maybe could talk me into Lost Legacy right now, maybe. Which is a you know I hate that style of card. I really do, but it has some interesting applications right now. I I might be interested. Okay. It just I can already tell you don't agree. I mean, it's nice to no. win against the approach of the second sun deck, right? On the spot, right? Like that's an easy game. Post board, they're just gonna have creatures against you. No, it's not even good. They will. The other matchup where I was considering it is ramp, but you're right. They diversify their threats, and it may not even be worth that much. It's not good. Just play gray ogre or whatever. A guy gonna, who does anything. Yeah, it's gonna translate to more wins than any lost legacy would. No, I, I probably know that in my heart. And it's just like every now and then you talk yourself into a card like that and then you, you draw it and you're like, oh, this is why I've railed against cards like this for the last 10 years and I'll go back to that right after this tournament. I wonder once I talk everyone out of playing Dispossess if the Godfrey's Gift deck will be good. Doesn't it seem like that deck should be good against like Teamer and these black decks? Yeah, I, I just lost against it today with a black deck. I felt like I had absolutely no chance and they could beat me at will. Ooh. So, yes, absolutely, 100%. It feels like that deck should be uh, very good. And it also seems like that deck should have available to it a plan to deal with mono red. Or Authority of the Consoles. Yeah, I've, I played Books. that card in a lot of my lists. Again, the aforementioned Turbo Fog list, and it was very good. So that seems like a totally reasonable place to go. You know, if, if you have that tech and you're able to get your red matchup together and it turns out you beat all these mid-range decks, which you certainly should do, right? If there's a deck that should prey on kind of mid-rangey strategies, it seems like that one. If there is a strike against it, you're starting to see a lot of scavenging grounds creep into various lists. Um, I believe that the winning zombies list switched from the usual Westvale Abbey to two scra- scavenger grounds. That, those were those were holdovers from some of the Pro Tour lists, though. And the Pro Tour list expected the, the, the Godfrey's gift deck, right? So then some people played Scavenger Grounds, and now I think people are like, why do we have these Scavenger Grounds in our deck? And I think people are, like, slowly cutting them. I don't know, man. Scavenger Grounds is just a card I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for. It, it is good. It has a lot of versatility, and I watched Steve Locke have, like, a Deadlands and a Grounds and sack the Grounds to the Deadlands and then use the Deadlands again next turn, like... It is not completely horrible by by any means, but it it's also like not even that good against the gift deck to begin with because that, that was it, where I was getting to. It's not a great card against the gift deck. It's it's fine, yeah. and that's about it. Yeah, they very quickly can restock their graveyard in most cases, you know, especially if they have the gate to the afterlife or something like that. They're, you're not going to keep them off activations of god pharaoh's gift with just scavenger grounds it's nice in that one spot where they go to like refurbish but even then you're stunting your development if you're leaving up three mana when you count the scavenger grounds itself to answer their refurbish so yeah yeah it's not the best card against them that's very true uh what what about monument maybe monument could make a comeback that is a deck i continue to play against and continue to smash repeatedly but okay (laughs) maybe you're right and and, you know i'm usually playing ramp so again not really fair Yeah, that um, matchup was always bad. But no, like they, they can play Authority of the Consoles. They don't have a lot of action on turn two against the Red Decks, but the Red Decks are slowing down also. And 
I think Monument is pretty good at beating Chandra Glorybringer stuff just in general, assuming that they stay somewhat true to like the older lists and don't get a little too inbred. But uh, obviously things like Ballista Gearhulk are a problem and they certainly have some issues. But yeah, maybe there are some blue-white decks that are good now. Not not the approach of the Second Sons deck, but Monument and the God Pharaoh's Gift. I guess one thing we're, we're kind of... Well, now that I look at these lists, I was going to say one thing we're getting away from is the fact that these rogue lists are just jammed to the gills with the braids. But as I look at these first and third place lists from the mocks, there's only two main in the first place, one in the sideboard. But the third place list has only one a braid main and one in the sideboard. So you are starting to see those numbers drift down a little bit. An- another good tick in the favor of the blue-white artifact-based decks, for sure, as if a braid starts finding its way out of all these deck lists. Yeah, but... Um... Like, Monument's good, but it's you don't lean on it that much. No, I understand that. I understand that. But it's it's just like, a Braid is still a good card against the deck anyway. Like, it's a, it's a fine answer to Spell Queller and, you know, various creatures that they're getting value out of. You're, you're happy to have four Braids in your deck against Blue-White. And I think it's hard to say that the deck doesn't benefit from a decreased a Braid count in other decks. It does. Yeah, it definitely does. But it's just not... It's not It's not like, oh, man... Yeah, people were playing Harness Lightning instead of a Braid, so, like, let's play Monument. It's yeah. like, nah. Yeah, yeah. And maybe I get to play Monument in Denver. That'd be sweet. I think you just want to play Monument. I, <laughs> maybe you should be that guy who's just like, this is my deck. I play it no matter what. No, I just, I want to play the best deck. Yeah. And I want to keep my track record alive, because for the last three tournaments, I've had the best deck. Yeah, you've it's been hot, of. man. You've certainly, certainly had the right... I'm, right I'm working on it. I'm working on it. And... So far, so good. So if you could just get hot before my RPTQ, that would be great as well. And just send that information well, right over to me. I'll, I'll give you all the credit. Don't worry. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. You can take all the credit. That's tough, man. That's that's 40 people that are independent of anything. And I have no idea where they're getting their information from. And like it is it is too metagame dependent. right? I've, I've always had a hard time metagaming gaming for those events because you try and get inside the mind of like mid-level grinders and mid-level grinders are like this kind of sick beast who have their own way of thinking about everything <laughs> it's really hard to anticipate exactly what they're going to do at right. any moment much less which is know. why which is why at you the end of the day it. you just play a good deck yeah and you don't you don't overthink it you just try and hedge against kind of a little bit of everything and it'll be okay i will take all of these lessons to heart i hope all of our listeners take them to heart as well and dominate their rptqs just like i will Hell yeah. Well, unless you're at the same one. I mean, I guess there are four slots. Yeah, there's four slots. Unless there's five of us at the same tournament, we can all negotiate and get along fun. Yeah, hell yeah. Well, man, what what else is there? Are there any tournaments between now and Denver? When's your RPTQ? My RPTQ? Well, I I have some options. It's either this weekend or next weekend or the week following. I am debating depending on kind of my health it's I, I would prefer to play in person i know you don't have a lot of experience with the rptq systems but you can play them either in person or online uh online gives eight invites but it's like mono ringers in person is a much much softer field with only four invites i'll have um, you know that i have i've played in two rptqs in my life okay and w- what was your experience did you play them online or in person i played them both in real life uh mostly because i wanted the promo yeah, the promo is worth a lot more, too. If, if you're about that EV, you should probably play them live always. So one of them was just in Bellevue, and I found out I could play the day before. I don't know. I don't I don't know exactly what happened, but it was like Dragon Sealed. I never played Sealed, and I went 4-2, and two, and it was like, this kind of sucks, and got my promo and went home. And then the other one was, 
I wasn't even going to go, but then Ross Merriam begged me for a ride, and I was going to be kind of close to it because I was at a friend's wedding. So I just, like, had him bus from Roanoke to the wedding, and then we drove to Virginia Beach, stayed at his friend's house, and then we played the RPTQ and drove home. And it was like, I, I was cute, so, so I just are, played. Are you a lover of the RPTQ system now? Did that convert you to an RPTQ believer? I don't know. It, it seemed... It seemed like it had some of the feel of the olden days, which I certainly enjoyed, but it was also just like it's missing like two thirds of the tournament that were normally there, you know? Yeah. So it was like I knew two of the people in each one and got to hang out with them instead of 10. And yes, that is the that is the distinguishing point is that for a lot of years, the PTQ scene was like my social scene. Oh, and yeah. You, you can say what you want about that as a, as a life statement. It may have been, you know, symptomatic of other issues going on in my life. But that's where my friends were. And that's where I made other friends and where I met so many people who have kind of like shaped my life was the PTQ scene. Like, it, it's just it was like a thing. The Northeast PTQ, PTQ grinders all knew each other. We were all very close. And, and that's completely absent from the RPTQ system in, in every way. Um, so that's a little sad. I don't think it'll ever capture that. But you're right. That does have some of that, like, you know, this is my one shot. I have to kill it right now type vibe. And I like those high pressure situations, but I, w- I would still go back to the old system in a second. If TOs could run those events without issue, like 300 person tournaments, and if they didn't end up having to play like the top eights in a Wendy's or something, I know. then yeah, I would be down with that. But we don't live in a perfect world and that stuff sucks. Yeah, I say this and then I flash, as you mentioned that, I flash back to the times of being like in a random store where there's 300 people and one toilet in the entire store and the lines just like around the building, like just a million horrible occurrences that happened at PTQ. So, So you're right that the reality of the system is not what I picture it like in my head. But yeah, I, I there are days where I do miss it then. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I know all of my friends through Magic and yeah. I am not ashamed to admit that one bit. And yeah, the PTQs were my social scene as well. I was in high school at the time, but like, screw those people, you know, like yeah, the Magic players are where it's at. Agreed. They're definitely a, a way better, uh, way better assortment of individuals than ex high school in whatever part of America you happen to be in. So I don't know. Both both of those tournaments were sealed deck also. So as far as like metagaming and that sort of approach, I don't have any words for you. I don't know. It seems like pretty tough because, you know, there are the people that win like a limited PPTQ to get to the standard RPTQ and haven't played standard and they show up with God knows what. And yeah, you it just seems way too tough to actually pin down a metagame. So just play a good deck. Yeah, and the play skills all over the place too, right? It's like, you know, oh, yeah. a random guy who won an 11-person tournament and dude who's played 45 PTs. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's all over the place. Yep. So don't overthink it. Just play play a good deck that you think you can smash people with and that people aren't going to, like, hate you out, you know? Like, if if you play against white, black, anointer, priest, sacred cat deck with mono red, you're probably going to lose, you know? Yep. So maybe you just play black green. Let's let's hope things don't come to that, and I find somewhere you know between the two, so, a, a nice middle ground. Black green has never impressed me. I just I hate it. Sucks. Yeah, yeah. black green. It, it's mopey. It sucks. Play like uh, the sifter, the sifter gear Hulk one. Yeah, that's closer closer to my style for sure. Definitely don't play like mono reactive cards. That's not good. Agreed. Stay assertive. That's that's good general advice I think for RPTQs in general. Just stay assertive. Ooh, Severa also got 32nd at GP Minneapolis. Light on uh, Gideon's as well. Oh, yeah. One Gideon. This is pretty good detective work on our part. Maybe we have a future as, like, magic detectives where we just solve mysteries. 
See, this is what I used to do. I used to look at all the deck lists and read all the profiles. I'm still playing catch up from like being gone for so long that I haven't gotten a chance to do this. I've not like touched a magic card. I've not unpatched, unpacked a magic card since I got back on Friday. So, yeah, I, I think your your social web goes much deeper than mine. I would have never pieced these links together and like gotten to the the source of this deck, but it's certainly good information to have. I know everyone, and it's awesome. It's very useful. I played against some people on Magic Online before this PT where I was like, I know who you are and you don't know who I am. This is great, you know? At one point, Martin was playing against some person on Magic Online. He was like, oh, I just played against like this person on Magic Online and they're playing this deck. And I was like, yeah, that's not who you think it is. That's this person. He's like, oh, well, who's that guy? I'm like, that. that's this guy. He's like, oh. I, he, he recognized the screen name as being someone good. I think he thought that Riser was Kelvin Chu. And I was like, no, Riser is Shintaro Ishimura. And he was like, well, then who's Kelvin Chu? And I was like, Hyper, obviously. Dude, that's that's deep moto name knowledge. Yeah, yeah, I know. I used to be about this. I used to, like, when I was first, like, cracking into Pro Tours, I kept, like, a list of all the Pro Tour moto names so I could barn them for technology. I mean, I didn't actually barn them and, like, message them and be like, can I have a deck? But, I mean, see what they were playing in queues and be aware that they were someone worth paying attention to. Yeah, um, I just keep that in my in my head. That's all. I've, I've faded. I, I haven't kept that up over the years. You'll have to download your list to me at some point, and then I'll, I'll get back on the ball. <laughs> if only it were that easy. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, I think that's about it for now. The, the future of Standard, undetermined. Agreed. We'll, we'll have to convene again next week to, uh, to see where we're at, because it'll probably be a completely different place than we are right now. Are there any tournaments? What's happening this weekend? Uh, just like Moto stuff. I think like Moto PTQs. There's SCG. GP Birmingham? There's That's a GP. Standard, is it? I don't know. There's a GP in England. I, th- I thought I saw someone. No, it's modern maybe. What about the SCG? Is that standard or is that modern? Oh, it is modern. Cho, modern. Cho just messaged me. Uh, I feel like the vast majority of their events are modern now. And, and so is this Grand Prix actually. So it looks like we're going to have a ton of modern results. Uh, until we lead into Grand Prix Denver. Which I assume you're attending. Oh yeah, dude! Raptors having a barbecue. Not gonna miss that. Very cool. I do. Have, I do have to book a flight though. <laughs> uh, and then you should book a flight as well to Grand Prix Washington D.C., where I will certainly be. And then we can actually take our game podcast updated picture. People always yell at me when I like link to something Ooh. related to the game, and it's just a picture of you and majors. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. I'm. I'm not. Yeah, I need player. to. I need to update the Patreon too because I'm pretty sure. I mentioned him and not you, but, but we've ne- we've never been pictured together. It's not like we haven't updated it. I, I, I don't think there exists a picture of you and I in the same place. No, dude, we we have re- very rarely been in the same place at the same time. That's pretty much true. Yeah, and and I don't or think- maybe we're the same person. Oh man, uh, <laughs> Cho for a while was trying to convince me that he was a figment of my imagination. <laughs> You're not looking to go down that rabbit hole again. This is actually like pretty good too because it went really deep and. It was just like, you know, just just think about it. It's like you're outside smoking two cigarettes, carrying on a conversation with yourself. <laughs> and I'm just like, man. And so, like, I'm just the weirdo dude on the Pro Tour, right? And, like, everyone just, like, talks to me like, you know, I'm, I'm like, the, the nice, like, special kid or whatever. Dude, I didn't know Cho was this diabolical. He's always been oh, so yeah. friendly every time he and I hang out. I didn't know he no. had this level of, uh, you know, strife to him where he's willing to just chip away at your psychological fortitude. No, he he messed me up pretty good. And then uh, another thing that, that he says occasionally is like, you know, stuff's going bad or whatever. And he's like, oh, on, on the bright side, you're going to wake up from that coma soon. <laughs> I love it. What an ass. Yep. I'm just like, yeah, thanks, man. That's exactly my style. 
So you too, huh? You too. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to have to deal with a whole gang of us. And this is just, this is you. You keep that in mind. This is you wrecking havoc on yourself. It's not even like you have a good excuse oh, yeah. for it. I know. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to go to DC and I'm going to stay at Joe's house, which I guess is just my house. So that's cool. Yeah. You'll have a whole fake web of imaginary friends to hang out with. It'll be awesome. Yeah. Just exactly what I've always wanted, <laughs> which is, which is probably why I slipped into that coma in the first place. It's true. True. All right. That's game. Good luck.